Right, Second Corinthians chapter 12 is where we're at, and over the next, um, I don't know how many weeks I'm going to take on this, but I do want to speak on the subject of spiritual warfare. Tonight specifically, I want to talk about the reality of spiritual warfare. I think this is something we all... We understand there is a spiritual, there's demonic forces, there's angelic forces. We all get this, but I do think we need to kind of have a renewing in our mind every once in a while on this because it's real easy for us to forget the spiritual and get real focused on the things of the flesh. And as a result, we start fighting the wrong enemy because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. But typically, that's what we end up doing. So I'm hoping over the next weeks to... Um, kind of cover some things on this that I'm hoping will be a blessing because folks we do there's there is a real spiritual battle that we are constantly facing and if we are going to succeed as a church if we're going to succeed as Christians you know we've got to get right be right spiritually otherwise it's just it's not going to happen so I want us to start reading uh, in second Corinthians chapter 12 just to kind of help illustrate some things and uh, show the reality of spiritual warfare, and to try to just get our mindset right. But it says in verse 1, It is expedient for me, doubtless to glory, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one was caught up into the third heaven. Now we know Paul's talking about himself right here, but I want you to notice too how Paul doesn't know for sure what happened. Okay, when he starts talking about this, uh, these things that he saw, he said, I don't know if it was in the body or out of the body. And let's just face it, when it comes to the spiritual, while we believe in the reality of it, I believe the spiritual is just as real as the physical. I can't really explain it. I can't, you know, while I believe I have a soul and a spirit, I can't really explain that. And none of us can really explain that. And a lot of times, as preachers, we get ourselves in trouble because we try a little too hard to explain some of those things and end up saying really dumb stuff. And it's like it's kind of like the Trinity. You know, sometimes people say really weird things trying to defend the Trinity. Sometimes they say really weird things trying to disprove the Trinity. At the end of the day, we don't fully understand the spiritual, do we? And here we have the Apostle Paul who had a real experience. I don't think God would have let him write about something that was just a hallucination. I think this is something that really happened to him. But even though it really happened to him, and he saw things and he got all these revelations, he didn't fully understand what had taken place. And so let's keep reading. And he says in verse 4, he says how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for man to utter. Now I want you to notice what he says here in verse 4. Because I can't think of a passage in the law, and if there, if you can think of one, let me know what it is. It could be there. But you, you know, a lot of times when they say something is unlawful, it means it's against something in the Scriptures. And so he says, I saw things, unspeakable things, and then he said, it's not lawful for me to utter them. So, uh, what I, so the thing is, I don't think it means there was something in the Old Testament that says you're forbidden from speaking of these things. No, I believe God forbid him from speaking about these things similar to what we see in revelation when the seven thunders uttered their voices john originally wrote those things down but then god told him eat that up because it god did not want that revealed to the world yet 
And God often would reveal things to me. God obviously revealed some things to Paul that he has not revealed to us. Now, what does that make all of us want to do? I want to figure out what that is. Well, listen, if Paul wasn't supposed to talk about it, you're not going to figure out what it is. So don't even try. Okay? Don't let some preacher get up. I'll tell you, I know what Paul's talking about right there. No, no you don't. Okay? If Paul wasn't allowed to write about it, then it's because God didn't want you to know about it. And if God didn't want you to know about it, you didn't figure it out. So um, just keep that in mind. But um, I, so I do. There are things about the next life. There are things about the spiritual world that God has not revealed to us yet. But they're still real, aren't they? And we always need to just make sure we mainly stay focused on what he has revealed to us. Because that's what we need. That's, that's what really matters, not the unknown. See, we could, you could say that the world was not ready for this dispensation that Paul had seen. Paul saw some things. He understood some things that the world is not allowed to know about. And so verse 5, he goes on to say, And of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. And I do think this here shows us what Paul meant when he said it was unlawful. I think he's just saying God would not allow him to speak of what he saw. And he did. He received an abundance of revelations. In this experience that happened, some people, you know, this is speculation. Some people believe when he got stoned, I forgot what city it was. A lot of people think he died and God resurrected him. You know, that, that's very possible. Uh, you know, because God wasn't done with him on this earth yet. And Paul got to see some things. And, and through that, some things were revealed to him. But it, it's not time to share those things yet. So he goes on and he's, you know, he says how, uh, you know, God did not want him being exalted above measure. And he did. He had this thorn in the flesh. And he wanted to get rid of it. And he said, for this thing, this thorn in the flesh, something in his flesh that made his flesh weak, an infirmity that made his life harder to live, we see that three times he asked the Lord that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And what we see here is that through all this stuff that Paul went through, because of this thorn in the flesh that he had, because of the fact that God refused to take that thorn away from him, God showed him that, Paul, I'm going to let you have this thorn in your flesh because my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul had such a desire to be a good Christian, to be a strong Christian, because Paul had such a desire to have power with God when he got a hold of the fact that, you know what, I'm actually stronger spiritually when I'm weak physically. Paul said, you know what, I take pleasure in infirmities. All of a sudden, Paul had a different attitude, and it's like, you know what, bring on the pain. And that's why the Apostle Paul, I don't think he minded the suffering. 
That's why he was able to sing in a prison. That's why he was able to do the things that he did. Paul had such a desire to have power with God. And he, he wanted that power, not so he could go around and tell everybody, I'm the Apostle Paul, i got a lot of power, I've got all these ability to do miracles. No, Paul had such a heart for souls. That was why he wanted power. Paul thought, if I have power with God, I'm going to be able to get more people saved. And there's no doubt that was the Apostle Paul's motivation. That was his attitude. He wanted to get people saved. And so Paul here, what Paul says here about his strength being made perfect in weakness, it's, it's, it's a paradox, you could say. You know, how can you be strong when you're weak? But we understand he was referring to spiritual strength. And the truth is, those who are weak in the flesh, those who, you know, don't have a lot of things going for them, those people typically are more dependent on the Holy Spirit. And we understand that, you know what, when we depend on the Holy Spirit, we're going to probably see more things happen. We're going to get more accomplished when, we, when we're trusting in God. But you know what, it's real easy for us to get focused on the, on the physical. It'd be, it's, very, it's, you know, it's like we say we believe the Bible all the time, but it's like we don't really believe the Bible. Because think about how many Christians are sitting in churches today and at smaller churches and they're thinking, you know, we could do big things for God if we just had some more people. You know, how many churches there are, they're maybe struggling financially, thinking, you know, we'd be able to do big things for God if we just had more money as a church. If we could get that millionaire in the church, then we'd be able to do big things for God. But folks, when did God ever use the, you know, the big crowds? When did God use the large armies? It was always the small it was always the few. It was always the weak. When it came time to fight Goliath, God didn't use Saul, who was head and shoulders above everyone else. He used the young shepherd boy, didn't he? And so, isn't it amazing how we, as Christians, who supposedly believe the Bible, we will sit around lamenting all of our weaknesses and will act like, you know, God could do something with our church if we had this physical thing, if we had this material thing. But folks, that's not how God has ever worked. You know what? His strength is made perfect in weakness. And if we could just get a hold of this, if we could actually start believing this, I believe we'd see some amazing things. And, you know, and, you know, I'll be the first one. You know, I, I am, I'm an analytical person. I'm somebody who just, I naturally, if I see a church that's doing great things for God, I look and I try to figure out what they're doing. You know, if, if I, um, and, you know, I don't like, to, you know, we don't like to admit this, but I can be a judgmental person too. If I see someone fail, you know, I like to look and think, I know why they failed. I know why they got it wrong. But, you know, let me, but let me just say this. When it comes to a lot of churches I've seen over the years, a lot of very impressive ministries that have just done amazing things. There's a lot of them. I look at what they've got going for it, you know, all that they're doing, and I'm scratching my head saying, how in the world is that church doing anything? The preacher's not that great. He's kind of boring. You know, you go to these churches and you look at the people, nothing, nothing special about them. I mean, they, it's not like they have that bigger crowds. It doesn't look like they're all rich people. And yet you see them doing a great work, and it's like, what is going on? You know what? I'm starting to think. I think some of these people have just figured out how to get the power of God on their ministry. Because what ends up happening in churches like that, you look and there's no doubt that, you know, who should get the glory 
for what's going on. It's God that should get the glory. But we, I'm telling you, we forget these things all the time. And so all these things here, you know, that we see, what Paul said here, it's a reminder that, you know, we need to be dependent on the Holy Spirit. That's how we get our strength. And so I show you all this to remind you, there is very much, too, that we do not fully understand about the spiritual or about the next life. We do believe in a literal existence of heaven and hell. We believe in a literal existence of angels and devils. We believe in the literal existence of God himself. But, you know, we can't claim to fully understand these things, can we? We don't understand how it all works. And in Second Kings 6.15, we all know this story. This is when with Elisha. And it says, When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now, folks, do we believe that what this man saw was literal or was just just a vision? No. They were really there, weren't they? And it wasn't until God opened his eyes. And, folks, okay, and this is for the people out there that want to do dumb, ridiculous arguments about hearing the word of God and all these things. Okay? It's not about the audio. It's not about the sound waves. Okay? It's about it's spiritual hearing. It's about spiritual seeing. I promise you, the guy had his eyes open. He saw the other chariots. He saw the other armies that were out there. His eyes were open. But the Bible says God opened his eyes. What's he talking about? Spiritually. And when God opened his eyes spiritually, all of a sudden... He's like, he saw what Elisha was able to see, and there were more with them. There were with the enemy. And then this is awesome, too. This isn't even really part of the message. Elisha commanded those armies. It was Elisha's idea to smite these people with blindness. And you know what? I mean, look what it goes. It says, it says, and he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. I mean, God let Elisha give the orders. In that situation. Why? I believe because of his faith. And I, and I don't think we realize what we have at our disposal to use as Christians. And you know why? It's just because we don't believe it. You know why? It's because our eyes aren't open to these things. I think that's why we're not always as effective as we like to be when we go out soul winning. When, uh, when we're in our church, when we're you know just living our lives as Christians... We're doing these things with our eyes closed. We're doing these things with our ears shut, meaning spiritually. And we've got to get a more spiritual mindset on these things because that's where the real power is at. So there, are, there's no doubt there's things around us we cannot see, but these things are just as real as we are. We see in Psalm 34, 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth trusteth in him. 
And I don't know. All right, maybe I'm reading into this passage. Maybe this is some eisegesis. But you know what? When I hear the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them, I don't know. Something just tells me that that's telling us that we've got some major protection. That tells me we don't really need to worry about anything. If we're, if we're fearing God, if we're in His will, I think, that, I, I think just the statement, the angel of the Lord is with us, is supposed to just bring us great comfort. I don't, think, I, I don't think we need to even factor in, okay, the angel of the Lord's with us, but who's coming after us? I don't even think, that's, I don't even think we need to factor that in. I think the angel of the Lord can do whatever needs to be done, but unfortunately we're not always trusting that. We're not always thinking about that. And so while I'm sure we're all in agreement when it comes to the spiritual, something that we also need to understand is that what we have pictured in our mind, when it comes to these things, is probably, in reality, not an accurate depiction of what is actually there. And I really want you to think about this, because folks, this is all about getting our mind right. This is all about getting our heart right. Okay? And I really want us to take this serious, okay? because I don't believe it's wrong for us to have a picture in our mind. In fact, even when Jesus would explain certain spiritual things, he would express them in ways that were ways that we could comprehend. But the fact is, what he was doing is he was bringing a truth down to our level so we could comprehend it. Because the spiritual reality of what Jesus would speak would probably be beyond our comprehension. I mean, Paul did say, I saw, I mean, unspeakable things. He, you know, there's, th- there's some things that just cannot be uttered. And so when it comes to the spiritual, when it comes to what's actually around us, there, these things can't be put into if, to words accurately. We don't have the words. And if we could put them into words that were accurate, it would go right over our head. So God often brings things down to our level. Let me show you some examples where we can see so, uh, where we can see God bringing down certain truths that were not made manifest yet. I think this will help us understand the, a little bit of what we got going on here. Turn to John chapter 3. Okay, Now, we all know the story of uh, when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness. And remember the fiery serpents came when they were murmuring and they bit them? And remember how Moses, he made that brazen serpent and he put it on a pole and he held it up and he said, Look and live. Now... It has been revealed what that actually was and what that actually symbolized. What did that? What was that serpent on the pole a picture of? Jesus on the cross, wasn't it? There's, there's no doubt about it. that. Has been revealed to us, you know. And so let me ask you this: So why didn't Moses just make a brazen image of a man on a cross? You know, why didn't he? Why didn't he just do that? Well, it's because he'd be violating, you know, graven images, you know, any likeness. Well, I mean, that's probably part of it, too. But at the same time, too, that hadn't been revealed yet. It wouldn't have meant anything to him. And so let me show show you some things. Uh, In John chapter 3, verse 9, it says, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? And this is after Jesus told him, you must be born again. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, 
and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Now, I think we understand a lot more today than Nicodemus did in that day, for sure, of what Jesus meant when he said ye must be born again. I think we have a pretty good understanding of a spiritual birth. Okay, we get that. That is not Jesus is revealing this during that time. So when he makes a statement, "Ye must be born again," he is he's trying to bring a spiritual truth down to his level, something that he can understand. And he tells tells him, he said, "If I'm speaking to you of earthly things and you can't understand it, there's no way you're going to understand the heavenly things." God's not going to waste our time and waste his time speaking about heavenly spiritual things that we're not even capable of comprehending. So what he does do many times is he brings things down to our level in a way that we can understand it. And when it came to salvation, when it came to the spiritual birth at this time, the way Jesus explained it, he just explained it like being born again. And Nicodemus, the immediate picture he had in his mind was not really an accurate picture because you don't enter into your mother's womb a second time and are born again and start as a baby again. But spiritually, uh, you know, it is. It's a new birth. And we all understand. We understand being babes in Christ. We understand growing in the Lord now. All these things have been taught to us. They've been revealed to us. And Jesus had to explain them this way. Otherwise, nobody would have understood it. That's how he often does these things. And so he goes on in verse 13. He says, no man hath to send it up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So uh, let's use this comparison that Jesus used with the serpent on a pole, because the serpent on the pole and Jesus on a cross, in reality, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's the same thing. Because, remember Israel, they were complaining, they were murmuring in the wilderness. God got angry at them. God's wrath was on them because of their sin. And these fiery serpents came and they bit them and these people were dying. And you know what? When Moses, he held up that serpent on a pole, that serpent probably reminded them of the sin that they had done. And when they looked at that, when they just had faith and they believed his word and they looked believing, if I just look at this, I'm going to live, they they ended up surviving. Folks, there's no doubt that what God was trying to show there was a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross, but he didn't show it that way during that time because it wouldn't have meant anything to them. It it would have went over their head. What is this man on a cross? That would have meant nothing to them, but it was, there's no doubt, a picture of something that was to come that was greater than that, and that is Jesus Christ on the cross. And when we see Jesus on the cross, you know what we're supposed to see? We're supposed to see our sins. Our sin is what put him on the cross. When we uh, look at him or believe on him, when we, when we trust in him, we immediately get cleansing from our sin. We immediately have salvation. And, I mean, it's that simple. And you have, I mean, it doesn't get any easier than look and live, folks. Okay, now you've got the goofballs out there that'll tell you that looking is a work. You know, like those that tell you calling on the Lord is a work. But folks, it's, it's not. Okay, when you, you know, look and live is not a work. 
it's a faith thing. Because that, that, and that was all it took. And so, said so if, if, uh, so the Old Testament is full of this type of thing where God would have them do some kind of earthly thing that was a picture of something heavenly. Something that they weren't ready for, something that they couldn't understand. That's how God did these things. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 3, it says, For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. We understand now that that tabernacle that God originally gave them and those sacrifices and those practices and the pouring of the blood on the mercy seat, the sacrificial lamb, the scapegoat, all these things, we all understand now that those were pointing to Jesus Christ. But not only that, we also understand that those things that they did were a picture of what Jesus was literally going to do in the temple in heaven someday. And we believe that Jesus Christ literally went and he poured his blood out on the mercy seat in heaven. And so while now understand if Hebrews would have been written during Moses day, these people would have had no idea what he was talking about. And you know, but you know what? They didn't need to during that day. They just needed to do what God had told them to do during that time. But what they were doing was a picture of something heavenly. Look at chapter 9 of Hebrews. In verse 22, it says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God. So again, these things of the Old Testament clearly they represented. They were not an identical replica. They were a, a representation. They were a shadow of things that are actually in heaven, of, of real things. Okay? Now, what those things look like exactly, I don't know. What we have on earth is only a picture of it. Do you all understand that? Or, and when I say picture, I, I, I guess I should say a representation. For example, we had the Lord's Supper last week. That little square piece of bread. We all understand that it, that is a representation of the body of Christ, correct? It's not the body of Christ. It's a representation. It's a picture. But does it look anything like the body of Christ? No. But what did Jesus do when he took it? He said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. And so I'm, I say all this to explain that there are many things on this earth. There are spiritual things that we have been told to take as Christians that God has even made a picture of in our mind that are spiritual, but it, he's given us an earthly image, something that we can comprehend. But understand what we have pictured in our head probably isn't even close 
to what the real thing is really like. And the real thing is real. So, for example, in Hebrews chapter 6, we see the armor of God. I believe that there literally is a shield of faith. But yet, do I have a shield here that I can hold? But no, but I can take the shield of faith, can I? I really believe in the sword of the Spirit. But, you know, we like to say that this is the sword. But literally, well, this isn't very sharp. You know, it's, it's, it's the, but it's the words. It's the power behind them. You know, it's the Word of God. It is. It, it, it is. It's a sword. And so we, so now, not only do we have physical things, too, or like, like back in the Old Testament, they had those physical things. Uh, the New Testament refers to them as elements. Okay, and these things were they were real things, but they represented something that were spiritual. And even now we have things that we're supposed to take as Christians that they are. They are invisible. They are real, but they're invisible. These things are not made out of anything that you can find on the periodic table of the elements, but they are completely real. They are just as real and Paul called these things the armor of God. He says in Ephesians 6.10, we looked at two weeks ago, we're going through Ephesians. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Okay, now again, you have got to, in your mind, you have got to see this armor of God as a real thing. And, and here's why you need to see it as a real thing. Because a lot of the battles that we face in our life, a lot of the battles that we face in our church, even amongst each other, the battles that we face uh, as a church, as, as we're facing the world, a lot of times we forget, because we're so focused on the physical, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. You know, sometimes we get so busy, you know, just looking at and, you know, and seeing the sodomites that we forget there's actually something even more vile behind them. There's actually something spiritual. There's actually something demonic. And you know what? We're not going to defeat those people with carnal weapons. We're not going to stop what they're trying to accomplish with carnal weapons. It's not going to happen. We're, our only chance of beating these people is with spiritual weapons. Sometimes we have conflict in the church. That it is real spiritual conflict. And if we do not keep it in our minds, if we do not daily put on the whole armor of God, you know what we're going to do? We're going to fight with flesh and blood. Because flesh and blood is easy for us to fight with because that is just a carnal thing to do. It is a, it is, I mean, it is a part of our human nature. It is part of our carnal flesh to just want to fight with people. And if you don't believe that, just look at your kids. Brothers and sisters, they fight with each other all the time, don't they? Why? Them being carnal. And you know, we like to think we grow out of that stuff. But you know what? A lot of brothers and sisters, physical brothers and sisters, they keep fighting even after they grow up. It's amazing how many families can't get along with each other. Well, you know, why is it? Because we're, we're carnal. And you know what? We're even the same way with brothers and sisters in Christ. We can get carnal and we start fighting with each other and we start thinking, oh, I'm fighting a battle right now. But the truth is, are, are you fighting a spiritual battle right now or are you fighting flesh and blood right now? Uh, you know, I'm all for fighting false prophets. But did you know even fighting false prophets can turn into a flesh and blood battle real fast? It can. You know what, folks? Sometimes it's not about the doctrine. Sometimes it's about the person. It really is. 
And you want to know proof that most of the time we're not really fighting a spiritual battle, we're not really fighting for doctrine, we're fighting people, is who do we fight the hardest against? Usually it's the people we're the closest to. It's people that are, I mean, you know, there's a sliver of difference, that much difference between us doctrinally. We fight with them the most. Why? You know why? Because we're, you know, they're moving in our territory. We're fighting for influence. We know the Catholics aren't going to join our crowd. We know they're not going to join our group. So you know what? We got to we got to recruit other Baptists. So what's the best way to do that? Let's nail everything that all the other Baptists are getting wrong, and show how how we're superior. Oh, you're fighting. You know, we got to contend for the faith. Yeah, but you got to do it in a spiritual way. And I'm telling you, sometimes we go into carnal methods, and we are we're fighting flesh and blood. We we hate the person. It's not really about the doctrine, and most of us aren't honest enough to admit when we're crossing that line. But he said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, and, and when he says this, okay, it doesn't mean we never wrestle against flesh and blood. What he's saying, that's not what we're about. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. Because trust me, Christians wrestle against flesh and blood all the time, but they're not supposed to. But here's what we're really supposed to be fighting against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so we're not going to go into great detail into this night on the armor of God. But what I want to focus on for the remainder of this message is just on the reality of the spiritual warfare that's taking place in our life. Now turn over to James chapter 4 because every battle that is going on today is in reality a spiritual battle. Okay? Even, even the, um, and, and when I say that, I'm not talking about just battles we fa- are facing as a church. I'm saying even Russia and Ukraine. Okay? I'm saying even American Al-Qaeda. Right? I'm saying these are in reality spiritual battles we've got going on. But it says in James chapter 4, um, in verse, oh, what verse am I looking for? Uh, 1. It says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lusts, that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask and miss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think the Scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. And so notice these that the wars and fightings, it's something that comes from lust, that war in our soul. That's why we have the battles that we have in our country. That's why we fight the wars and things that we do in our world today. This is, it's a spiritual problem. That people have. That's that's the reality of the situation. We've got plenty of oil in this country. You don't need to be going after Muslim countries to get their oil. Okay, but we do it anyway. Why? Greed. Sometimes it's pride. 
That's you know pride has caused a lot of wars. That's a spiritual problem right there. Now these spiritual problems they turn into real physical battles, don't they? And even spiritual problems in a church can turn into physical battles. I mean, I've heard of all kinds of stories of churches, you know, where fist fights and things broke out, and even stabbings and stuff. We've heard all those stories before. You know, I've, I saw a thing one time. Uh, I saw uh, it was like a news thing where there was a uh, fight going on in a church, and there was a woman like slapped the pastor. I think it was the pastor she slapped, slapped him in the face. Yeah, I thought thought we didn't wrestle against flesh and blood, but you know what? I don't think she was right with God at that moment when she did that. So what did the pastor do? He tried to swing back at her. I mean, it wasn't a pretty sight. That wasn't right either. That wasn't right either. But, um, you know, we've got to understand battles that are going on. When we see wars and fighting, you know what we need to do? We need to start thinking spiritually. We need to start looking for the spiritual solution. Because in reality, that's what's going to make the difference. Doesn't mean there's not a physical battle. Doesn't mean we don't have a physical problem, but the solution is a spiritual, it's a spiritual thing. And the reality of the physical battle does not remove the reality of a spiritual battle. These things go together, folks. Okay, you, you don't have one without the other. They go together. And as a church, as Christians, okay, our, I promise our government's not looking at the spiritual issue. They're not even thinking about that. They're not taking that into consideration. You know, but that's that's our job to think about that. And that it's it's our job to try to be help be a solution to that. And so the solution for victory in any battle is focusing on the spiritual. Turn over to Philippians chapter four. Philippians chapter four in verse four says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is what we need protection, our hearts and our minds. That's why we need that breastplate of righteousness. That's why we need that helmet of salvation. These are key vital areas, but we don't protect these things with physical armor. You know, notice that the key to this stuff is, you know, be careful for nothing but in everything by, you know, lifting weights and push-ups and sit-ups, you know, because you know, if you get strong enough, you'll be able to fight all these things. You know, it doesn't say that the key to protecting your heart is, you know, no trans fats, you know, no whatever stuff we're not supposed to be eating. That's what's going to protect your heart physically. No, He's talking about spiritual things. These are the things that will keep your heart and mind. And then he goes on to give us some things that will help our minds. And he says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. We've got to have our mind right when it comes to battles and things that are going on. We have to keep things right up here, ladies and gentlemen. Why? Because how we think about things affects how we handle things spiritually. These are the things that affect our spirit. These are the things that make the real difference. This is how we're going to change things. And so we've got to, we've got to get our mind in the right place. The battle is something that is mainly fought in our hearts and minds. And when we lose the battle, 
not in the flesh. When we lose the battle in our hearts and minds, okay, or, or I should say, we lose the battle in our hearts and minds before we lose any battles in the flesh. Okay? We always lose it in the mind first. I like what it says in Hebrews 12.1. It says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. I, you know, I promise you, I can almost promise you, that serving the Lord in this church, will, is, it's very unlikely it will cause you to faint physically. Okay? I've never known anybody that quit church and gave up on God because they were working so hard in the church that they literally passed out. And that, you know what, that church was just working me too hard, and I, to, I, to the point I passed out, I quit. That's, you know, people don't quit over that. You know, you, know what they, you know why they quit? Because they faint in their minds. Because they, they worry about things they probably don't need to be worrying about. So-and-so said this about me. This person doesn't like me. And you think, you're thinking about all these things. You see everybody in the church coming at you and throwing fiery darts at you. And what do you do? You faint in your mind. And you quit because I got offended. I got my feelings hurt. But that, that's where you're going to lose. Okay? I don't, I, I don't know too many people. I don't know if I know any people that ever got killed by the people in their church. It's like, we're just going to murder them. Well, I actually do know one story of a pastor who literally uh, murdered a deacon in his church because he was having an affair with that deacon's wife. And, uh, and then the pastor preached his funeral. Tell me there's not a spiritual problem there. And that's another story for another day. I, I, I can tell you the church where that happened. I mean, yeah. So, uh, I, so again, there's exceptions that are out there, okay? But let me tell you, churches kill people all the time spiritually, don't they? And, and we do throw fiery darts at people. But you know what? You've got to, and it's not right when we do that. God's going to judge church when we do that. But, you know, when we faint, it's in our minds. He says in verse 4, Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. I mean, have I ever preached anything that hurt you so bad you bled? No. But in your minds, I mean, look at all these people that are suffering from spiritual PTSD. You know, that are just, you know, dying from just all the... A physical, physical, or the emotional, spiritual abuse that they were put through in the IB because that preacher got up there and he called the women hussies and for you know wearing pants and all that kind of stuff. You know they just and they're still recovering from it, and they're never going to recover. You know, hey, listen, we're not making, but you know, nobody's made you bleed from that stuff, but yet in our minds we act like we ha- are bleeding, don't we? We act like we're dying, but we're not. But here's what we got to understand. Our spiritual weapons that we have available, okay? Some of you might not have the spiritual weapons. Okay? They're, they're at your disposal if you're saved. But just because they're at your disposal doesn't mean you're using them. It doesn't, doesn't mean you have them or you know what to do with them. But our spiritual weapons are very powerful. But you know what? So are our spiritual enemies. Now turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians Chapter 10. Verse 1 says, Now I, Paul, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you, but I beseech you that I may not be bold, 
that when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we have walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought into the obedience of Christ. Notice again the thinking. Notice again, these are things that are going on in the mind. And he talks about the weapons of our warfare. They're not carnal. You know what? I am all for guys showing off their guns. Okay? You know, showing off your weapons. And, you know, by all means, uh, I'm all for carrying those. But, you know, as Christians, it'd be pretty cool if we got if we'd start geeking out about spiritual weapons as much as we do our carnal weapons. I mean, listen. Congratulations! I, I, you know, I've got my concealed carry permit. You know, I've got a gun that I can legally carry around. You know how many people I've got to shoot with it? Zero. All right, the chances of me ever getting to shoot anybody with it are probably pretty slim. I, ho- I hope I don't ever shoot anybody with it. But let me tell you something. Why is it that cool to have weapons when you never really use them? You see what I'm saying? So we actually do have spiritual weapons. Why don't we start geeking out about those things and go out and take some people out, spiritually speaking. <laughs> spiritually speaking, where, we're, where we are allowed to do this. That's what we should be getting excited about. That's what we should be thinking about all the time. Hey, what can I do to sharpen my spiritual weapons? What can I do to get some action with these things? I mean, you know, what's the point of, you know, learning how to be a soldier and learning how to fight and learning how to use all the weapons and everything and you never get a chance and it's like uh, last thing you know i want to be in the army i want to get the uniform i want to get the weapons i want to get all the training but don't you dare put me out there face anybody no i'm ready to fight i'm ready to take somebody out well you know what we need to have that same attitude when it comes to spiritual things that you know what i got the weapons and i'm ready to go hey just you know give me give me an opportunity and let's go do something and we've got to understand the because we've got to understand the reality of what we're up against Now, again, we might not have an accurate picture in our minds of what's going on around us that's 100% accurate. But you know what? I think it's okay for you to have a picture in your mind. I think you need to get a picture in your mind. I think God tries to give us a picture in our mind. And it might not be 100% the reality of what it is because it's just a shadow. It's just a symbol. But get these things in your mind. Because I, do, I think the devil has done a great job of just convincing people that we're insignificant and weak. And it's like he gets, it's like he gets us to fail all the time. Because when we fail, it's in the flesh, isn't it? We walk in the flesh. Okay, we, we, uh, you know, we're going to do the lust of the flesh. That's why we've got to walk in the spirit. And we do. We regularly, as believe, even as saved people, we get in the flesh and we mess up. And we got the devil. It's like he just tells us, man, you stink. You're a sorry Christian. You messed up again. And he gets us beat down. He gets us feeling defeated. And he gets, and you know what he's doing? He's getting you to quit focusing on the spiritual. He's getting you to quit looking at the spiritual. And what we do, we've got to picture the right thing in our mind. Because I believe if we could see the reality of what's going on around us, I think we'd be unstoppable. And, you know, and I, you know, I'm trying to think of a good way to put this in your mind. But, you know, just picture, if you would, all right, somebody fighting in a battle. 
they're beat up, they're down. And imagine being and looking across and you've got an army of the devil himself and thousands of demons. You know, that's a pretty scary image while you're all beat up and bloody. I mean, you look at that, you got a whole army against you, you're, you're pretty much toast. But just understand, that picture of you all beat up, that's, that's you and your flesh. And that's all of us on our best day. In our flesh, we can't do anything against the devil. But, you know, we all, we've watched enough action movies and things and stuff where we can also picture that guy that's just got that epic weapon, you know, that Thor hammer or something like that. That's so, but folks, the spiritual weapons are actually real. And if you could picture yourself, if you stop seeing yourself in that bloody condition of the flesh and start seeing yourself in a spiritual sense, sold out to God, you know what? We find out we've got a shield that can quench any dart those demons can throw at us. We've got a sword that can cut through anything. You know, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. And so, you know, when we've got a shield like that, when you realize we have a sword like that, why would you just lay down? Listen, you got an army, you got an army like that, it's time to do some damage. It's time to get up, stop worrying about your wounds and things, start using these things that we have at our disposal, and just go tear things up. Just go slay some slay some of the enemy. And I do. And and not only that, not only do we have these weapons, in reality, if we would open our eyes, we would see that behind us, we've got an innumerable company of angels. Not only that, in front of us, we've got God himself. So what are we just laying around for? You know why you lay around in defeat? You know why you lay around and you just give up? Because you're only looking at the flesh. That's all you can see. But folks, there is more. It's the, there's the spiritual. And these things are just as real. Just as real as your sorry, worthless flesh is, the spiritual is also real. The sword of the Spirit is real. The shield of faith is real. Every one of these things are just as real. And God wants us to renew these things in our mind and get up and fight. And folks, whenever and here's, here's what you've got to start doing. Okay? I believe God wants us to do this. When you are you know, at work and you've got that person that tempts you, you've got that person that's trying to get you to you know, talk about stuff you shouldn't be talking about and, or just causing you to try to lose your temper, you need to stop looking at flesh and blood. And you know what you need to do? You need to start seeing a demonic creature standing there. And you know what? The key to taking them out is not punching them with your fist. You know, it's, but it's, you know what? Using the word of God. It's being a good example. It's having some self, having some self-control. These are the things that we've actually been told to, told to do. It's about being obedient to the scripture. These are the things that we've got to do. When you find yourself at home and maybe you're tempted to look at something or watch something you know you shouldn't do, instead of just seeing uh, you know, a television and just you know, some electronic box or a cell phone, whatever it is, you need to start seeing the devil throwing fiery darts at you. And you know what you need to do? You need to start whooping out some scriptures. 
You need to start quoting some get thee behind me, Satan. You need to start singing some psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You need to start thinking about some whatsoever things are just and holy and lovely and all these things we've been told to do. You've got to start doing that stuff. And let me tell you something. If you don't do that, you know what? Those things are going to get you. You're going to get, you're going to get taken out. You're not going to get taken out. Nobody gets taken out by a cell phone. But you know what? You do get taken out by demonic forces. You do get taken out by lustful things. The, these, these spiritual you know, darkness that's out there. You do, people get taken out by those things all the time. And we don't fight these things with carnal weapons. We fight them with spiritual weapons. But the devil, he has, he has done a good job of just getting us to forget all those things. And only looking at the things of the flesh. And so I say all this to just try to, I, I, what I'm wanting to do in the next week is just getting us to start thinking about things in a spiritual way. I want us to start thinking about, I want us to start, I mean, creating some enemies in our mind of the, 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 the devil and demons and to stop looking at human beings. I want us to start hating on some spirits more than we're hating on people because we're thinking too much about the flesh and blood and we've got to start and it, it it's not flesh and blood folks that's not what we're fighting against these are spiritual things and i believe if we'll renew these things in our mind we'll get our minds right in these things i believe god will make us victorious and i believe that our church will be unstoppable i know we will and don't you dare say there's not enough of us. We got, you know, there's, we're not, we don't have enough skills. No, 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 no. That's not what God uses. God uses the weak. God uses the foolish things. God uses the base. That's the things that God uses. And we've just got, we've got to claim these things. We've got to claim them. And so, um, honestly, I don't know where all I want to go with this series. I'm going to do whatever I can do to just get us thinking spiritually. That's what we need to do because that's what we're in. We, have, we are fighting a spiritual battle and we will only win it with spiritual means. And if I fight a battle, I want to win. And I want to win big. And I want to do a whole lot of damage in the process and so I hope that's what, I believe that's what we'll do. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. I pray this message was a help and a blessing. I pray it'll help everyone, Lord, uh, to, to take these things to heart, to ponder these things in their mind, and to get a more spiritual outlook on things. Lord, help us to use the examples and the illustrations that you gave in your word and help us to uh, you know, run these things over in our hearts and minds and help us to use the tools and the weapons that you gave us to make a real impact and a difference and i pray that as a result now lord not only will we see a lot of people saved but we'll see uh strongholds pulled down in people's lives lord we'll see them get victory over sins that have been holding them down and keeping them captive for years and i pray that we'll just be a victorious church in your name we pray amen